Welcome to The Art of Marketing, a podcast webinar series to help you connect with your customers. We talk with marketing directors, executives, and business owners to learn more about their approach to marketing, hear which tactics deliver results in different industries, and give you some ideas for your next campaign. The Art of Marketing is brought to you ad-free by Applied Art and Technology. Applied Art is a creative studio that helps businesses create professional content that gets results. From video production, websites, virtual events, and much more, Applied Art can help you build the bridge from marketing to sales. To learn more about our company, visit our website at appliedart.com. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. This is The Art of Marketing. Welcome, everybody, to episode number 33 of the Art of Marketing podcast webinar series with your friends at Applied Art. Today, we are talking about healthcare marketing during a global pandemic with Janelle Pittman. Before I introduce her, though, I wanted to say we've got our regulars here on the show today. We've got our partners, Mark and George, Shannon, our business development manager, and myself, Ryan, and I'm in marketing. Today, I think we're going to have a really great broadcast for everybody to listen into a great topic about some stuff that's very timely and uh, affecting everybody uh, these days, which is the global pandemic and its effect on the healthcare industry. So uh, Janelle is our guest today, and Janelle is the Chief Marketing and Digital Strategy Officer for Mercy One. Janelle, welcome to the show. Thank you. Awesome. So for the folks that don't know who you are, can you run us through a little bit about your role at Mercy One and what all the different things that you're involved in there? Sure. So Janelle Pittman, Chief Marketing and Digital Strategy Officer, and what that entails is marketing and communications, as well as our digital strategy, which covers telehealth, um, our digital front door, any way that we interact with consumers digitally. Also have the privilege of working with our culture work. And that um, has been really exciting as it uh, intersects so closely with our marketing and branding. Very cool. I think it's going to be a great conversation today for sure. Um, For the folks that don't know kind of your background, would you mind sharing with us a little bit about what brought you to Iowa and what brought you into uh, the role that you're doing today? Sure. I'll work backwards. Before joining Mercy One, I was very happy at Meredith Corporation, working with brands such as uh, Parents Magazine, Better Homes and Gardens, Martha Stewart, and All Recipes. Spent about 10 years there. My family and I moved here for my husband's job. He's a physician. Before that, we were in St. Louis, and I was working in brand management with Nestle. That's awesome. So what's, what's one of the fun things that's different than working in healthcare? Because you're, you're kind of an outsider in terms of the, you know, so you said some people might be in the industry for a long time. So what was that like when you uh, transitioned over? Sure. So um, in my mind, marketing is marketing. It doesn't really matter who it is that you are connecting with. It really is all about understanding what is the consumer need and how do you partner with those within your organization to create the products and message to deliver what it is that the consumer wants. That's what attracted me into brand management and marketing early on, early on in my career. And that continues whether we're looking at um, how do we make a consumer's life easier if you're thinking about the recipe world or whether how do you make it easier to take that first step 
when it comes to controlling your diabetes. Janelle, what, um, what is your objective at Mercy One? What is your team tasked with doing? Sure. So, thankfully, I work with uh, CEO Bob Ritz, who really sees marketing as a key part of the organization and a key part of the strategy. So, we work alongside him and the other um, team members and functions to deliver against our vision which is to create the standard for personalized and radically convenient system of health services. And um, our marketing communications team's role is to create those connections and to help our uh, consumers, whether they currently receive services from Mercy One or not, get to know Mercy One and understand how we can help. What, uh, <clears throat> how do you measure success? Sure. So lots of different ways. Across Mercy One, we have five key results focused um, first and foremost on our engagement with our colleagues, um, our connection with our consumers in terms of likelihood to recommend, our quality, which currently ranks um, better than the um, 10th percentile for um, nationally. So very exciting there. Um, financial performance and then ambulatory growth. And those are the um, metrics everyone across Mercy One works towards. Everything that we do in marketing is focused on, focused on growing those as well. So in addition, we will look at um, market share as a measure of ambulatory growth so that we can see how, um, not just how we're growing and progressing, but also compare ourselves um, to others. So, excuse me, I assume ambulatory growth has nothing to do with more ambulance calls, right? What is that? Correct. Thank you. Appreciate that. So, um, ambulatory growth is basically anything that happens outside of a hospital. So, we know more and more we want people to be receiving care outside the hospital, whether that's in a clinic or through virtual care. And so, that's how are we growing um, our non-hospital-based encounters. Janelle, I really, I really love the radically convenient care. I think that's just an awesome phrase. And so I would imagine, especially with the state of the world today, telehealth and digital is pretty important. So can you talk a little bit about that? Did that all start before the pandemic or is that a result of responding to the pandemic? Sure, it is, it is an element of both. Um, we were fortunate at Mercy One to have the foundation uh, tools and processes in place before the pandemic. Um, however, we were only seeing 100 to 200 virtual visits a week. During the pandemic, we have grown as high as 8,000 virtual visits a week. So um, oftentimes people talk about the acceleration of digital during the pandemic. And I, I believe that's completely true for Mercy One. Our, um, we basically consolidated implementation of two to three years worth of strategy into a couple of weeks. And what we're focused on now is how do we continue that convenience that consumers expect? Um, and it's not just about convenience. It really is also about how do we improve the quality of care? What we found is that consumers, um, it's just another touch point with their provider or with their care team to help um, stay on track with their health. 
Well, and you shared a story with us uh, the last time we chatted about physical therapy. Tell, I, I just, I can't even imagine. Tell us a little bit about that. I think it's a great story. Yeah. Um, so I had, as you can imagine, everyone in healthcare was working crazy hours, still is, um, during the pandemic. Um, and I started getting these horrible headaches from, you know, being at the computer all the time. And so um, I went to a physical therapist for an in-point, in-person visit. I was about to cancel because, you know, have to leave the office, get in the car, go over, drive back, et cetera. And I called um, Sam, who's an amazing physical therapist at Mercy One Clive Physical Therapy, um, and said, can we do this via, um, I have to give props to Sam because she's so wonderful. Um, can we do this via a virtual visit? And then I think our next two to three appointments were actually done virtually and, you know, saved half an hour worth of driving and felt a lot better. So how does that work for that? I mean, if they're not physically touching you, how do you, how do you alleviate your pain and stuff? If they're talking to you through a, a camera, I'm curious. Well, I can, I can only speak for if you've got headaches. Um, but they have you look in the camera as if you were looking in a mirror um, and do different exercises. And then there's some things. I'll give a tip. This is crazy. Um, but if you're having a headache, you put your fingers like this on your neck and then turn this way. Turn. And it kind of releases the muscle in the back of your neck. You got it down, George. <laughs> I am not. Please do not take this as perfect. Yeah, this is not, this is not yeah. medical advice. Yeah. yeah. My question is, what do you do no, when your boss is the one giving you a headache? How do you, how do you alleviate that pain? Yeah, that would I, never happen, Shannon. I know. I would, I would like to know the answer to that one. Um. It's interesting, too. I have a question. Um, you know, one of the things that's really important to marketers is really understanding what their audience, the consumers, and you actually have more than one audience. Uh, you have your consumers, you have your practitioners. I'm not sure if that's the right word. And you actually have your employees, your fellow co-workers. Um, how do you understand, how do you get to know what their needs and what their desires are? Do you have research or how does that work? Sure. We try to use um, everything that's at, our, that our, that's at our fingertips. When we began our brand work, we did focus research to ask consumers, what is it that drives your choice when you're consuming healthcare? We also ask similar questions to our colleagues to say, what is it that drives your choice when you're deciding where to pick an organization to join? And it was really important to us as we developed the brands that we had um, a platform and we're developing a brand that resonated both internally and externally. Um, we do periodic research with engagement surveys we're really working now, though, how we move beyond that to get more bi-directional communication. We're looking at um, technological solutions for how we can do that. Anyone who's listening to the podcast and has one of those, let me know. Um, we also do just a lot of listening to colleagues. So um, one way that we're doing that is through what's called our care circle. And we know right now, not just right now, but from the very beginning of the pandemic, 
you know, looking ahead to see how difficult this is going to be on our colleagues. So Care Circles is run, is run by Jackie Luch, our Chief Human Resources Officer, and it brings together uh, colleagues from across Mercy One to really focus on what are we doing to support our colleagues and listen to them. Um, that involves rounding, but really having discussions. How are you doing today? What's going on? How was last night? Our colleagues have gone through awful, awful, <laughs> awful things, and we need to be there to support them. And it's really important um, as we've been working on what, how we support our colleagues to know each individual colleague's experience is going to be so different. And you can go out and, you know, everyone has EAP services, and you could say, go ahead and call or something like that. But the people who most need it aren't, aren't going to call. And then there are so many options. How do you know what to leverage? So the care circle was out on the floors in the clinics having those discussions and saying, have you considered um, thinking of three things you're thankful for before you go home this day? Um, just really very targeted to what that individual colleague needs. I have one thing I'm thankful for right now. I picked up a new trick. <laughs> so thank you. Was there anything that surprised you <clears throat> or is there any change like in the consumer, uh, the way that they think that uh, that has shifted within the last even last year or two? Absolutely. Um, everything has shifted when it comes to um, when it comes to COVID and it it varies by consumer and varies by psychographic. So we don't look at all consumers as the same. Um, within, within healthcare, you have some people, it's actually a very, very small percentage of the population who looks at their provider and says, what they tell me to do, I'm just going to check it off and that's exactly what I'm going to do. Um, that's how most of healthcare historically has been oriented for that kind of uh, patient as a receiver. Um, what we know from psychographics is that there are many more segments that actually look at um, look at their healthcare as a partnership and are looking to collaborate with the care team versus simply take instruction. So we're working through through the brand work and continuing on to understand those segments and tailor messaging, tailor products even in terms of, of how to reach them. One thing about the um, that surprised me during the brand work, I had expected that we would see more differences region to region and between urban and rural in terms of top drivers of choice. What we found that um, there were very, very few differences in terms of what really drove choice for consumers in those different environments. And it really comes down to um, providing that personalized, individualized care for a patient. Wow, that's really fascinating. Um, how do you how do you translate that through digital? You know, I think that's a that's a problem that banks went through. You know, instead of going into the bank and having a happy, friendly mm -hmm. person, now everything's online. And uh, same with healthcare is more and more telemedicine. And how do how do you translate that carrying through a really a kind of an impersonal mediums? Sure. So I think it starts with how do you use AI to help get consumers 
directly to what it is that they that they need. Um, when it comes to digital and telehealth, we actually see the opposite. People um, consider it to have even better connections that are developed during telehealth visits. And I'll just share a few examples with you. So um, there was a um, pediatric patient who was um, had been meeting with a therapist for a long time, and they were really having trouble breaking through. Um, the um, provider asked the patient to go to their the place they felt safest. So the kiddo took their device and went under their bed and had the telehealth visit from under their bed. And the provider said that it totally transformed the relationship and really created breakthroughs because they were able to be part of the part of the environment. We are embarking on a really large strategic initiative focused on care at the wide spectrum of care at home. And as we were meeting to talk about that, that kickoff, one of our pharmacists said, you know, this is a huge opportunity to really personalize care and really improve the outcomes for patients. He said that in his experience, there's something called a um, kitchen table meta, uh, medication reconciliation. That's where the pharmacist is actually looking at the pill box, looking in the medicine cabinet. Um, and we can do those things virtually now. And when the pharmacist says, oh, what's this blue pill? Oh, I'm not sure. It was this other, you know, this provider I saw two years ago that they hadn't told the told those pharmacist or the care team about. So when you're in the home, you can really have those kinds of um, kinds of breakthroughs that um, really are very personal. Um, so I, I don't I see it as an enhancement rather than um, a detriment. You know, I, that to me is super interesting. It's like <clears throat> your doctor is making a house call again. Absolutely. Just much more convenient for both the provider and the patient. Well, and two, I mean, I, I assume the technology is <clears throat> there or will be there where, you know, you can, you know, <clears throat> off of my watch or something, get my pulse and <clears throat> whatever metrics you want. I, I was probably just at the early stages there, but a lot of those things you can find out without, you can decide if you really need to visit. Oh, that's so fascinating. I, <clears throat> I never would have thought of it that way, but that's totally a total mind shift, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Well, when we go, you know, Shannon, I think, talked about radical convenience, and um, that, is our, that is our vision. And so when you think about radical convenience, it's no longer what, um, what time does, do I as a provider have open in my schedule? It's what do you as the patient need? And then the technologies are changing so quickly. Um, we're actually kicking off or have implemented a remote patient monitoring um, study where the devices are actually now in the in the patient's homes to help for management of chronic conditions like COPD, heart failure, things like that. Yeah, I can. I'd rather have a I'd rather have a telehealth call under under my bed because when I go into the doctor's office, my blood pressure is always 
higher than it normally is. And I'm, and, and they say, you know, what's going on? I'm like, well, I'm here. I'm already freaked out. I'm not sure what you're going to tell me or what's wrong or what I got to do. So under my bed sounds good to me. (laughs) My sister is the exact same way, Shannon. So that's, that's, it's actually a real syndrome or something. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, we do always, I should say, we are, our focus is always on clinically appropriate telehealth visits. So if we can't get your, get your blood pressure and need it, um, and don't have a device in the home to be able to do that, um, that clinical appropriateness is still absolute, absolute paramount. And something I'm really proud of our providers is, um, they, they very easily say, um, you know, I think you're going to need to come in for this. And, you know, they're not charged for that visit or anything, uh, the, the virtual visit. But that kind of being able to switch between in-person and telehealth is really, really what's important. Because it would be very difficult to only have telehealth visits yeah. um, with a provider. Because sometimes you do need that. You do need that in-person. And our providers are embracing um, doing both. I want to talk a little, I want you to talk a little bit about, you had three elements that you said you implemented probably three years worth of work in two to three weeks. And one of it, and it all came together pretty seamlessly. And that was culture, your strategic plan and your brand. And, you know, the logo changed a little bit, but it, it wasn't just about the signage. Talk a little bit about how that all came together. Sure. So as Mercy One came together as a unified organization, our uh, team focused on three things, as you said, culture, brand, and strategy. And it's every leader's dream to have those things really line up and intersect and reinforce each other because we were doing all three at the same time. Um, we were really able to put that into practice. So as an example, as we looked at our consumer research saying this is what is driving consumer choice, as we defined the culture shifts that we wanted to make as an organization, we were able to incorporate those so that the culture we were creating supported the brand we wanted to be able to talk about. Um, Then on the strategy side as well, we knew where the strategy was going, what we could talk about now, but also what was coming so that we could have a durable brand platform that um, gave us things we could, like I said, talk about now, but then knowing that we could extend that into into the future as the strategy was implemented. And I, you mentioned um, the, the signage. As we talked about this, and it, this was a very, very um, um, engaging process with our team. So part of our culture was coming together as one. So we used development of the brand not just as a way to talk about our services together, have the same name. We used it as an opportunity, just like we're building the culture, to build the brand together. So we had, I believe, more than 5,000 interactions with colleagues and providers during the development of the brand work. So we were coming together from a process standpoint while we were coming together from a brand standpoint. And our, our saying was, this is about a sign of change, not a change of sign. So if all we did was change the signs, that would have been really a waste of money. What we found was that because people had been brought along during the process, then when they saw the sign go up, it was, oh, yeah, this is coming real. It was just another proof point in the culture 
um, and the coming together rather than something happening in, in an isolated silo. Kind of geek out on this stuff. Hope that's all right. Well, you're the, the right cool part about it, it is that, you know, your, your goal was to create that continuity in every Mercy One location, whether urban or rural, so that the, the care is consistent, the, the thinking, the philosophy, the belief system is consistent. And I, and I think that's really cool. That's not easy to do, especially when you can't touch all the various locations, you know, personally. Yeah, oh, thankfully, know. we would. Oh, go ahead. Um, we met with uh, providers, colleagues, leadership in um, every region regularly. Um, each time that we moved from one step of the branding process to the next, we were very intentional about um, seeking input from those all, all across the organization. Even if we were hearing the same thing in Eastern Iowa and Western Iowa, it was still really important to have those conversations so that as the work rolled out, people truly did see it as our work collectively, not, not just a logo. You know, that I think you half answered the, the question I was going to ask you, and that is, <clears throat> how do you align your marketing with your organization or vice versa? I know, uh, you know, we've met with clients that might say, hey, we have the best customer service. And I would say, I was just there and you don't. You know, we cannot promise things that we can't deliver on how do you how do you align those two and part of that may be you know one of your audiences is your own internal team your organization too can you speak mm -hmm. about how you bring those so you're not promising things you can't deliver on sure um and certainly especially in healthcare that's something we would never we would never want to do um that's where you're right, it is multiple multiple audiences. That's why we started with the culture work. There was a bit of a push early on with a lot of excitement about the brand work. Well, let's get that out there now. Let's get it out there now. Like, we can't do that. We can't go out and say that we're one until we together see ourselves as one. So I think we did a lot of intentional work to make sure that we were putting the product there before we were um, talking about it externally. Yeah, what that's so, that? that's, I was going to say it's so important. <clears throat> Sometimes there's the focus is so much outward that you forget really a big component of it is you just need to get your a team all on the same page. Absolutely. And we did see, probably most importantly, um, we saw that when we looked at our studies before brand launch and after brand launch. Um, one of the drivers of choice for colleagues for where to work is providing coordinated care. And clinicians, they know that providing coordinated care improves the outcomes, but it also just makes your job easier as a clinician when you're providing care that's coordinated for patients. And we saw a significant jump in um, our colleagues' perceptions of us providing coordinated care before and after the brand. Again, that had nothing to do with the logo. That was coming together that happened capped off or, you know, given a shot in the arm with the logo. Considering how individuals consume healthcare, especially now in this changing time, how was that impacted, if it has, 
your strategies and, and the way that you market what Mercy One has to offer? Because there's got to be a connection. Everything's different. How have you had to pivot to handle that? Everything is absolutely different. We loved our brand launch spots. Everyone loved them. We couldn't run them. Nobody was in math. Um, so we instantly had to, you know, turn that off. We had to very quickly get out um, new creative that talked about different things, talked about safety, did the socially responsible thing as a healthcare organization to show masking. Every item on set or every scene on set was cleared with our incident commander to make sure that we were following CDC and IDPH guidelines in terms of masking and distance and everything like that. Um, it certainly adds, adds a challenge. We had to um, not think about how are we going to leverage this media investment, the video investment. We had to say, what can we get done right now? Because it's going to be relevant maybe for the next six weeks, and then we'll see what's going to happen after that because the virus changed so much, guidelines changed so much, and we had to be really flexible to respond to that. Really proud of the team and, and how they um, put on their very, very agile hat during, during all those changes. And I'm assuming the, the messaging probably changes away from, uh, you know, before where you're just pushing, like, we're here for you, that type of thing. It's different. It's a different feel of we're here for you. Right. It's not the, the same when it's, when there's the whole pandemic stuff going on, there's probably just more layers to it. Um, than right. Not. Our message had to shift to safety, just like everyone across the country, healthcare volumes for routine, um, routine visits dropped off. Um, so then not just in terms of promoting Mercy One, but really more as, as a public health um, statement, we were out there with messages about the safety precautions. We were keeping extra safety precautions we were taking to keep patients safe in our facilities. Because when you read stories about people delaying care for heart attacks, um, about people skipping their follow-up appointment for COPD or diabetes, that's real, and that's very, very dangerous. So a lot of our messaging shifted simply to um, you can get safe care, and it's really, really important that, that you do that. Well, I'll tell you from a personal perspective, I've avoided, I've avoided all places and really stayed quarantined on purpose. And I unfortunately had to go to the doctor last week, and I was shocked to walk into the lobby of the building. I'm not even outside my doctor's office yet. And there was a machine I had to stand in front of with my mask on to have my temperature taken before I could go into the building. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is weird. Cause I had no idea what to expect. I knew to wear a mask, but you know, that's why the blood pressure was so high. By the time I got to the doctor's <laughs> yeah. office, I was freaked out walking into the building. I had no idea that they were taking your temperature before you even got past the front door pretty much. That's a big yeah, change. People, people put their trust in us. We take that very, very seriously. And we're going to keep you safe when you're in, uh, in a Mercy One facility. Yeah, awesome. Uh, uh, Janelle, can you talk a little bit more tactically um, how your channel strategies are? social, television, radio, what what the mix is, you know, uh, any 
the paid search, any of those sort of things? How does that how does that mixture look like? Sure, it really it really does depend what we're what we're talking about. Um, general branding messages we tend to go more with mass media, and then um, specific appointment driving types of efforts. We really try to get as close to the individual as as we can with that messaging. Very cool. What do, how does social play into that? Sure. Social plays a big role in um, the, the branding elements. It's a great way to um, influence how consumers that, you know, kind of gut feel that they have about you. Also really important in the, in the pandemic in terms of coming up with creative assets that um, make it easy to share and engage with information, what you need to do in terms of the, in terms of the pandemic. Targeting is also very helpful in social, not just for the brand messaging, but also for the campaign specific. Um, the other place that we use social is in developing our employer brand. How does that, <clears throat> how does that work in, that, in the last instance? What's that On like? the employer brand? Yeah. Sure. So there we know the things that are drivers of choice and we we know and I can't remember the statistics, I'm sorry, but um, it a high percentage of people as they are going through the interview process will actually go to your social media to get a feel for what is it like to work there. And thankfully for us, it's a great place to work and we've got lots of smiling with your eyes because it's math, but um people coming together and enjoying each other that then um, is shared on social. It's attractive to prospective, um, prospective colleagues. So the whole piece about building relationships really happens internally and externally with individuals who need healthcare services. Absolutely. So what are, what are your biggest challenges? besides the uh, pandemic, just pandemic. the marketing in general? Yeah, um, it really is hard to get past that main point right now for us because like Shannon, you've got a lot of people that are sheltering in place at home. And um, if you're not going to the grocery store even, um, it's difficult to think, okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prioritize my health and go in for a doctor's appointment. So making sure to continue to share those it's safe at home messages is really probably our um, our biggest barrier. I know I know that's really real for me because I feel like uh, that's the one place I don't want to go because that's where that's where sick people are. So that's the last thing I wanted to do. Yep. Yeah. And Sh Shannon, I want to make sure you see your doctor. <laughs> no, it is safe. <laughs> and one one way we communicated that was with COVID-free zones. So actually separating, fully separating patient populations to make sure that anybody who was well um, was not anywhere near anyone who um, might have COVID. So Shannon, it's okay. Oh, I, I you know, <laughs> I got it. I, I may, uh, I'm going to have to go back. And it just, it already, my blood pressure is high. I can tell. Well, I'm, I'm proud of you. Keep it up. <laughs> Thank you. 
Well, you know, the good thing is, is that the, they're, they know how to deal with infectious diseases, <clears throat> unlike, you know, the grocery store, the hardware store, or places like that. <laughs> right, right. So from, from an employee standpoint, I know you mentioned that was a big, a big focus was make sure your people are prioritized and, you know, putting all the stress under all the things they're experiencing the last year or so. Um, what were, what were some of the ways that you saw people responding to the pandemic internally? Uh, obviously, um, you know, exhaustion is probably the number one if worked if you had to put it, but what are the things were you seeing in terms of how your people were handling everything that was going on? Sure. It, it varied by individual, by department, um, what was going on both within their work environment as well as within, within their home environment. What I would say that we saw most is people coming together and whatever needed to get done, doing it. And I might get teary-eyed talking about it, but the, the dedication that we saw from our team, truly, truly humbling. Um, I know personally that, you know, working long hours when I went home, I actually made math um, because the idea of stopping when I knew that my clinical colleagues were out there still on the, still on the floors, um, I couldn't do it. Literally, that's, that's why I was making math with even when I'm at home, I've got to be able to do something to help. Um, so I think the number one way of responding was through just dedication, recommitment to our mission and to our patients. And we saw um, colleagues from floors who weren't directly dealing with the pandemic, um, sending gifts and notes to, to pump, up, pump up those colleagues. Um, we saw them ad adopting and sending food. We saw people actually in Northeast Iowa, our um, director of um, informatics was a, is a nurse. And so she did her day job as director of informatics and then took night shifts as a nurse to help give people a break. We had people in HR answering phones on the floors. Um, everyone doing absolutely everything that they that they could do to help and so i'll i'll say to everybody in the, the central iowa community and across iowa you should be really really proud of the healthcare providers that that you have in iowa and a note of appreciation um when you made hearts and put them on your windows and put signs in your yards and brought food and made math it mattered to the team um, in North Iowa, there's a group of people that comes and holds signs for the staff as they're walking in and out from their shift, and it really pumps up the team. So um, thank you to everyone for showing appreciation for the amazing dedication of our healthcare workers. Well, now you're making me teary-eyed, so that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, no. Thank yeah. you so much. That's, that's phenomenal. Well, I will, I'll put in a plug. The way to thank your healthcare providers is to wear your mask. This, um, this thing is, is absolutely not over. We know all of us are over it. We're all done. Um, but it, it's not over. And the best way that you can help is to wear your mask. And that is a real problem, isn't it? People are really fatigued. Yeah. I think that's a good place to wrap. Really great, Janelle. Really great. Thank you so much. Thank you all. Really appreciate the conversation. Thank you for listening to the Art of Marketing podcast from Applied Art and Technology. 
If you liked the episode, make sure to give us a five-star rating and leave a review so we can help more listeners connect with their customers. See the show notes for access to our free 88-page video idea book filled with ideas for your next production. And to learn more about our company, visit our site at appliedart.com.